almost everything I was doing, I was seeking pleasure, thinking that pleasure was going to bring me happiness. And I was, it was a subconscious thing. I didn't realize it. It was just everything I was going after was, okay, how can I have more pleasant food? How can I have more pleasant sex? How can I have more pleasant, uh, you know, people approving of me via my scholastic endeavors? And so everything was a search for pleasant sensations. And when I discovered these concepts in Buddhist philosophy, it helped me realize that pleasure doesn't actually lead to happiness. And that happiness is something that's almost completely separate. Like pleasure can help a little bit and it's important, but it's not the most important thing. There's so many other things like gratitude and compassion and connection and community and patience and you know all these things that actually lead to happiness. Well, as the Third Place Podcast began to take shape, we knew we wanted to bring not talked about conversations into this comfortable space. When we were thinking about topics that were uncomfortable to talk about or taboo to talk about or just simply topics that we don't know how to talk about, one of the first topics that came to our mind was to talk about pornography and porn addiction. We're so blessed today to bring in our guest, Jeremy Lipkowitz. Jeremy overcame addiction, shame, self-judgment, and depression in his early 20s with the help of mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness not only helped him let go of destructive behaviors, it also allowed him to connect with deeper meaning and purpose in his life. For the past eight years, Jeremy has been teaching mindfulness and emotional intelligence practices at universities, recovery centers, and companies throughout Asia, Europe, and the U.S. He holds a bachelor's and master's degree in genetics and genomics, and spent several years at Duke University working towards a PhD in genetics and systems biology before he turned full-time to teaching mindfulness. Jeremy is a certified teacher with the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, a mindfulness-based emotional intelligence program initially developed at Google. He also spent time living and training as a fully ordained Buddhist monk in Myanmar, and he now combines his science-based expertise with a hunger for personal development to help others discipline their minds and achieve genuine inner peace and fulfillment. Let's welcome Jeremy to the Third Place Podcast. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging empowering, empowering, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. All right, everyone. Welcome, Jeremy. A little bit of a fun fact. Jeremy and I met in California at World Tea Expo. So at the time, I was actually running business development for a specialty tea company, and Jeremy was starting a tea company. And we, oddly enough, on the sales floor, talked less about tea and more about meditation. And to now be bringing him onto the podcast just seems like such a, like, natural evolution of our happenstance connection. And I really like, first of all, want to say thank you. And I have such an elated feeling having you on the podcast today, but also want to understand like what's been the evolution since the time that we met and where you are now. Yeah, it's been on the surface quite a change and a transformation. Um, but 
in the kind of on a deeper level, it's really the same thing. So the reason I started the tea company was I was interested in, in starting a place where people could learn about mindfulness and meditation and connect with community. So it was going to be, you know, like a part tea house, part meditation space, part yoga studio. And that was my main intention. After doing that for a couple of years, I realized that running a tea business was much more about keeping up stocks and inventory and people management and, you know, all this stuff that I wasn't that interested in. And so eventually I left and um, decided to focus more on doing what I really wanted to do, which was that helping people understand their minds, their life, and just kind of lead happier lives. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's really, I'm still doing the same thing, but just in a different format. I like how you said that. It's like the difference between, yeah, on the surface, it looks maybe to some like a dramatic change, but actually it was just how you were expressing what was happening internally is what changed, but it was always there. Yeah, exactly. And so now what do you do now? <laughs> yeah, it's always a complicated question because I do so many things. Um, I would say the main things that I do are coaching and leading emotional intelligence workshops and, and kind of presentations. So I teach something called Search Inside Yourself, which was developed at Google. It's this mindfulness program. And I teach it in large corporations and organizations. So places like the United Nations and tech companies and um you know, all these big organizations that need mindfulness in a very pragmatic and practical way. So that's one of the things I do. Uh, and then I also do coaching. So one-on-one -on -one coaching. And that's where I get to dive into, you know, some of the more interesting things that people are struggling with and help them, you know, just lead happier, healthier lives. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how I split my time is those two things. So I'm always interested as like, clearly the work that is now in fruition for you has been um, manifesting itself for some time, right? But there are some things about your human experience that probably led you to this. And, you know, in, in learning more, just as we've prepared to bring you on to the podcast too, I learned that you you struggled with addiction and, and other things. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of in, insight around that experience and how that's contributed to your journey. Yeah. Well, that was, that was really the main way into mindfulness and meditation and, and all of the, this whole world of positive psychology and uh, neuroscience and neuroplasticity. All of my interest in that stemmed from my struggle with porn addiction and sex addiction. Uh, it was the the biggest gateway to me, probably because it was the the most acute source of suffering in my life. And it was the thing that finally kind of broke the camel's back where I said, okay, enough is enough. I can't keep living like this. I need to change something. I need to figure out a new way to live. Uh, so, you know, it kind of goes back to when I was, I don't know, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, when I started uh, getting interested in my sexuality it started just by looking at comic books and lingerie catalogs the things that most young boys kind of get into and I, I talk about this a lot that in the same way that you you can't notice you're getting fat if you get fat over the course of a couple years because you see yourself every day right and so in the same way I never realized I was developing any sort of addiction problem with pornography 
because it started when I was, you know, eight or nine years old and then on into my early 20s. And so I never noticed that something was wrong. It was just something that I did. But by the time I was getting into college, I was watching porn maybe two or three hours a night. Uh, and it was starting to, some of the effects of it were starting to show up in my life. And that's when everything kind of changed. We recently had an interview on where it was just this rock bottom moment for someone to make their change. Was there a specific rock bottom moment for you that said, this is it? Or was it a little bit more spaced out? Yeah, there was a, a there was a single moment that I remember I had this kind of existential crisis or breakdown and it was it was this beautiful sunny day you know I, so I went to undergrad at UC Davis in California um, and I was one of these you know top students so getting A pluses in all my classes setting the curve like I had a lot of friends I was captain of a sports team so my life on the outside was really going well I had a lot of things going for me and then on the the underside you know I was kind of having this uh, increasing compulsive uh, addiction to pornography. And I remember this one day walking down the street. So I must have been 21 or 22 at the time. And I was walking down the street in Davis, California. And in front of me, I saw these two girls walking and they were walking in the same direction. So I was kind of behind them. And I remember staring at the, the butt of the girl in front of me. And I was so consumed by lust. I was so filled with lust. And it was this, it almost felt like this big black hole empty, like opening up inside of me. And it was this big emptiness that I just felt like I couldn't be happy in that moment. It, it was this feeling of, and unless I have that, unless I can have that, I won't be happy. And it was that moment when I realized like, I'm never going to be happy unless I change something. Because I'm always wanting more. I'm always wanting, you know, a new girl to sleep with, a new uh, fling, you know, more pornography. And it was this moment of just realizing, you know, basically I have everything I've ever wanted. I have good grades. I have good friends. I have lovers, all these things. And yet still I feel miserable inside. And that's when I realized that something, you know, fundamental had to change because I, I realized if I didn't change something, I was going to end up some 70 year old perverted man that was trying to pick up girls at, you know, college bars. And I could see that, you know, even in my early twenties, I realized that was the path I was heading down. Uh, and so that was the moment where I had this kind of existential crisis of realizing something has to change. And that got me interested in this question of happiness. I really had this moment of thinking, you know, is happiness even possible? And what is happiness? And that's when I started looking into books and got into positive psychology. And eventually I found this one book that changed everything for me. It's a book called Happiness by Mathieu Ricard. And he's a, he's a Tibetan monk born in France. And what I loved about him is he has a background in the sciences. So he got his PhD in molecular biology and then became a Tibetan monk and wrote this beautiful book that looks at the scientific exploration of what is happiness and how do we cultivate it as human beings. So it wasn't, you know, I was always very averse to religions and spirituality um, because I thought it was just too woo-woo and airy-fairy and all this stuff. 
And I should mention my background is in the sciences as well. Um, and so when I read that book and I realized that you could actually study happiness, that was really important to me. But more so, the thing that changed everything for me from that book was the understanding of neuroplasticity and the understanding that what you frequently think about and ponder upon becomes the inclination of your mind. So the more times you think a certain thought, you know, you're strengthening those neural pathways. And it was that moment, it was that understanding that helped me realize that watching, you know, three hours of porn every night for 10 years, I was creating my own suffering. I was, you know, like deepening myself into, I was entrenching myself in that pit of suffering. It was all my own doing. I'm, I'm just like fascinated by the fact that even in that addicted mindset, you went to an antidote through happiness rather than an antidote through um, absolving of addiction. Because I think that like on many occasions, maybe the I, I've witnessed and experienced with my own anxiety and addictive tendencies too, that it's almost like, how can I absolve this? But through like trying to just prevent those actions or prevent those addictions um, or replace those addictions with other addictions. And so I think I'm mostly just like struck by and fascinated by that you chose an antidote of what was, you were able to recognize the void and then tend to that void. Yeah. And it was very much um, this idea of if, if you tell a child or anyone no about something, then the addiction starts of, but I want it even more, you know? I mean, that's, that's the original story of so many of these religions is like, you know, the forbidden fruit. You're not allowed to have this apple. So what do you want is the apple from that point forward. Yeah. So it's like this common human curse, but to your point that it's replacing it with something that was this positive perspective rather than a negative. Yeah. I think what really helped in that regard was this realization that I had that I have everything I want, I want already. Right. You know, everything I've ever wanted, I've achieved and I'm still not happy. So it was this, it was this deep existential crisis of wondering, of, of kind of realizing that there is nothing that's going to make me happy. And that's what got me interested in the, the deeper question of what is happiness? Rather than, you know, what a lot of people do, and I'm guilty of this as well, is we just think, oh, it must be something else. Oh, maybe if I just have, you know, some more sweets, then I'll feel better. Maybe if I just find a better TV show to watch. Maybe if I just get in shape and then, you know, we can get addicted to exercise. There's all these things. It's just maybe it's something else. But for me, there was this understanding like I've already achieved everything that I've wanted there must be something fundamentally broken. So that got me into that deeper question of what is happiness? And that's, for me, you know, Buddhist philosophy, a lot of people think Buddhism is a religion, and there are some forms of Buddhism that is a religion, but there are many forms of Buddhism, the kind that I practice, that it's more of a philosophy of understanding the nature of happiness, of contentment. And, you know, what is suffering and what is the nature of suffering and how to live a life of deeper inner contentment and inner fulfillment. So you mentioned that this addiction sort of started to, it wasn't an addiction at the time, but around your six or seven year old age, 
you started to flirt with your sexuality, right? As, as a boy. And that's very normal, right? And as a parent of a toddler boy, like, you know, that's what conversations we have is about the normalcy of that and how to navigate that, not to bring certain positive or negative charges to it in order to think in a, um, preventative way, but also in a healthy way of helping him identify and recognize and experience his body and his sexuality. I'm wondering what about, is there any link or did you find that there was any link to contentment going back to even that time or to your youth and your adolescence that got you to that place? That was that, was there any correlation between that time or that start to how it manifested as addiction? You know, I, I'm not actually sure um, in my own case. I, I do believe that a lot of addiction and addictive tendencies or compulsive tendencies are rooted in childhood trauma of some sort or another. Uh, and I, I feel that we're almost all traumatized in some way. You know, we all have experiences in our childhood that that cause us to feel some sense of insecurity or inadequacy or unworthiness and you know most of our adult life is trying to fill in those holes of unworthiness that we feel uh and so for myself you know I, my childhood wasn't perfect it wasn't it wasn't by any means you know overly traumatic but i i feel that we all you know experience these things in our childhood so i'm sure that there's something in my childhood that you know it might not have even been something uh very very obvious it just could be you know maybe I got I did get you know teased as a kid um you know I was chubby for a little while and got teased in that way and um it probably comes from somewhere but for me you know I I think that's so important to understand just as you were saying to lessen the shame around it you know lessen the shame around sexuality and that's one of the things that I'm a big proponent of in the work I do with people who do struggle with compulsive you know, porn behaviors is this first step is understanding you're not a bad person for being a sexual being. You know, the understanding that sexuality is, is normal and healthy. And one of the most beautiful aspects of being a human is your sexuality. And so learning how to embrace that and not push it away is one of the most important steps in, in dealing with porn addiction. Yeah. I want to go deeper with that. Um, you know, so what, what does a healthy embrace of sexuality look like and specifically around porn? You know, what if you're a man who has this struggle or women? I mean, there's, I think, just so many new stats that this is really becoming uh, a problem with women as well. Um, so going into that, I'm also a dad of a three and one year old boy. So raising uh, young boys uh, is, is definitely something that I'm going to have to be thinking of here about in the next few years. So how do we work with the shame that young boys might have? I was the opposite. I was incredibly skinny and had an overbite and my oldest is going to be the same. So he's going to get teased. Uh, you know, so how as a parent can I be prepared for that? Because it is going to be these moments of trauma that have the potential to linger later on in life. Yeah. Well, there's so many directions we could go with this. There's so many topics I want to touch on. Um, uh, they're all so juicy and uh, so attractive to touch on. Um, the, the one thing, you know, first, I just want to say that it's such, you know, the era that we're going into in terms of 
the the potential problems of porn addiction with every young child having a smartphone and having unlimited access to I mean this is a, a thing we could really spend an hour talking about of going into what is the state of porn today and what's available and what does it do to you on a on a neurological level it is astounding to see what is out there and what is available and how grotesque a lot of it is i mean not all porn is is awful but a lot of it is and it's freely available you know i remember when i was a kid you know we would get excited if somebody found a playboy magazine right we would i was, get, I was yeah. gonna say i was like the evolution of it i mean i just can't even because that was was in the 80s or 90s when was that for you yeah early 90s okay yeah and, you know, and we would get excited by somebody pulling out a calculator and writing boobs on it with, you know, the 80085. <laughs> right. that, that formula that you would right. have to type into the calculator. Yeah. But now, I mean, it's if you look at, you know, porn is one thing, but it, it has bled into Instagram and TikTok and, you know, all these other sources where it really is a scary thing of, of what kids are dealing with and the potential of what might happen. I mean, uh, TikTok can be quite like softcore porn for a lot of young kids. So that's a whole topic of like, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time to be a parent and to have to worry about uh, how to prepare your kids for that. So that's something we can, we can dive into and I'd love to talk forever about it. Yeah. Let's, let's plan on, uh, a part yeah. two someday. The topic around, you know, how to prepare your kids for dealing with the inevitable trauma of childhood. My own view is just, you know, the more that you can be genuinely loving and show them that you love them and that they're, that they're worthy and, you know, good people and to not, um, you know, make them feel ashamed of themselves and who they are. Um, you know, that's the, it's the most important thing because you can't protect them from everything. And in fact, there's a lot of arguments, you know, there's this um, book, Anti-Fragile, that like we actually, we need these experiences of going through pain and difficulty to build up our resilience. Um, and if we coddle our children too much, then they don't actually build up the mental toughness that they need to live in this you know, crazy world we live in where things do fall apart and break. Right. Well, and it goes back to the, just the idea of, you know, you can't keep saying no about something because eventually, you know, that that's the thing you're drawing attention to the thing rather than helping deal with the thing. Like I know so many health coaches that say no to sugar, no to sugar, no to sugar. And then their kids end up being addicted to sugar because they, they, once they got the taste of it, then they didn't have the tools to stop. So unrelated, but related. No, it's very related. Yeah, it's and it, the thing is, it's so hard because shame and sexuality are so ingrained in us on a almost deeply physiological level. I mean, a lot of it is societal, but I know even from my own childhood, you know, I was raised mostly by my mom. My parents divorced when I was three and my mom was very pro sexuality. I remember she would always let us watch movies with nudity in it. But if there was violence, mm. we couldn't watch it. So I, live, I grew up in a very pro-sexuality kind of open um, family when I was growing up. But even still, even though I never had these moments of kind of being 
uh, told it was something shameful, I still developed this sense of wanting to hide my porn viewing behavior. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's something that is very hard to, uh, to kind of help people work through. But it's something that's, as you have talked about, it's so important. So, you know, there's a lot of talk and, and I want to bring this up because I don't think, you know, you touched on this, but our audience doesn't know that you have schooling in and even training in genetics, right? So I'm curious, what role have you learned does that play in the tendency toward addiction? And yeah, how does that play a role? Hmm. Yeah, so I guess just a, a very brief background. Um, you know, I was working towards my PhD in genetics at Duke and had already discovered meditation when I was an undergrad. And so it was, I started teaching meditation to my peers and to other graduate students when I got to Duke. And after doing that for a few years, I realized I was more passionate about the mindfulness and meditation than I was about the genetics I was doing. So that's when I left my PhD program and started the tea company. Um, so that's just a little explainer about that. Yeah. Um, in terms of the link between genetics and addiction, we do know that there is a, a genetic component to addiction. Um, but we also know that a lot of it, you know, you're able to actually improve your situation through training, through things like therapy and coaching and, you know, all of these different tools that we have available to ourselves uh, around, you know, recovering from uh, addictive or compulsive tendencies. So, you know, the, the genetic component, it's for me, I don't really focus on it because it's just like, it is what it is. There's not much you can do. Um, better to focus your attention and time and energy on what you can do about it. Yeah. And so we sort of touched on, you had this, this spark, this moment that led you down the path to happiness and neuroplasticity. And, you know, what was your next step then? You know, was this really a self-guided recovery? Did you create a community around you? Like what were some of the tools that, and what did it, how did your recovery present itself? And when did you feel like you were in a place of, of more of a happiness state? Mm. Well, after I got introduced to that book, Happiness, um, that led me on kind of a, a year-long journey uh, you know, it sounds so cliche and I'm almost ashamed to say it, but, you know, I went to Asia and traveled through India and was backpacking through India for a few months and doing a lot of meditation retreats. So I really became so passionate about the idea of mastering my mind or, you know, finding deeper fulfillment because, it, you know, this is another rabbit hole we could go down is... It wasn't just the porn addiction that got me into happiness and this whole thing of, you know, mindfulness. It was this understanding that almost everything I was doing, I was seeking pleasure, thinking that pleasure was going to bring me happiness. And I was, it was a subconscious thing. I didn't realize it. It was just everything I was going after was, okay, how can I have more pleasant food? How can I have more pleasant sex? How can I have more pleasant uh, you know, people approving of me via my scholastic endeavors. And so everything was a search for pleasant sensations. And when I discovered these concepts in Buddhist philosophy, it helped me realize that pleasure doesn't actually lead to happiness. And that happiness is something that's almost completely separate. Like pleasure can help a little bit, and it's important. 
but it's not the most important thing. There's so many other things like gratitude and compassion and connection and community and patience and, you know, all these things that actually lead to happiness. And, you know, the, the rabbit hole we could go down is just the epidemic of not just porn addiction, but the epidemic of pleasure addiction in our society, you know, in terms of, and I'm guilty of it too, but, you know, Netflix and junk food and, you know, comfort, we're so addicted to pleasure. Uh, and there are a lot of problems with that. Um, you know, food addiction is a huge problem. Cell phone addiction is a huge problem. So what was really fascinating for me was this path that I found was a path that a path of freedom from suffering, freedom from inner turmoil and a, to a deeper level of contentment. So I ended up just kind of going on all these different silent meditation retreats and, you know, spending 10 days in silence, practicing the form of meditation I do. It's called Vipassana meditation. Um, in, in the West, we sometimes call it insight meditation. And it's, it's really a practice of unhooking yourself from this constant craving for pleasure or running away from whatever is unpleasant. Uh, and so these silent retreats became a really a, a staple in my life. You know, they helped me deepen my level of happiness and contentment and eventually ended up becoming ordaining as a monk in Burma. Uh, spent some time there and it just it really changed my life. Something you just mentioned, or you said it, um, this speaks to porn and I think so many addictions, is there's the pleasure aspect of it, but there's also this escapism aspect of it. You know, like, this is the thing that gets me away from the world, right, for a moment, and I can leave what is making me unhappy or what is making me painful. Can you speak to the escapism idea and how... Gosh, how do I say this? You know, like I, I look at my life right now and there's no way that I could go take a backpacking trip to India, although I really want to. Uh, so that's just not available. So and I think for so many people doing those kinds of activities maybe is not an option. So therefore, ex escapism is the option. And that also feeds into this addictive culture of pleasure. Yeah. Once again, you've laid so many juicy apples in front of me that I want to touch on. This is difficult. Um, so one thing that I think is important to understand is that even though my path was to kind of travel to India and do this, you know, spiritual finding myself journey, I don't in any way think that you need to do that in order to learn these tools and find deeper happiness. And in fact, that's much of what I do with my work now in the, the coaching I do and the search inside yourself is helping people understand that you, it's not a spiritual thing and you don't have to travel to India or shave your head. Like you can learn these things and integrate them in your day to day life. And it even as little as five or 10 minutes a day can make a profound impact. So learning the tools of mindfulness, emotional intelligence, meditation, you know, learning how to start mastering your mind is so important and profound. Because when you get down to it, everything we experience is through the mind, right? You know, our whole perception of our reality and our world is through the lens of our mind. It makes sense to 
clean it up and to you know create and cultivate a healthy mind um so so that's one thing is just you know really understanding that you don't have to to go anywhere and do this um now i've lost the other juicy apple unfortunately well the escapism i really think oh yeah pick that apple up <laughs> yeah you know it, it's part of what's interesting about porn addiction and the thing that I like to talk about addiction is that, and this is a quote from Gabor Mate, I believe, who says, the addiction is not the problem. The addiction is the attempt to solve the problem. And so there's this understanding that we might be addicted to different things, but we're all kind of trying to address whatever the root problem is. And it's almost never about the substance. So while I may have struggled with porn addiction, somebody else might struggle with gambling addiction, and another person might struggle with food addictions, and they're all flavors of the same thing. They're all the attempt to kind of deal with this underlying need that's not being met, whether that's a you know a trauma that hasn't been healed or uh, you know whatever it is. So yeah, this escapism, you know, porn just happens to be a very tantalizing and kind of free and juicy place to to get your fix of escapism you know i remember reading once on this, this thing that there are certain things that can promote something being addictive and i forget exactly what they were but i remember um two of them one of them was the price of it so if it's free that helps and then also if it's anonymous that also helps um there was one other thing that helps it being addictive but with porn it, it is free i mean there's there is an unlimited supply of porn on the internet and so you can access it wherever and whenever you want everybody has their cell phone in their pocket right so imagine if you were an alcoholic and you're always walking around with a flask of whiskey in your pocket that's how bad it is or let's say you're a cocaine addict and you're always walking around with coke in your pocket that's what it's like to be addicted to porn because it's so available the other thing is it's anonymous so you can you can do it and it, people don't actually know you're addicted you know with some addictions the signs show up if you if you struggle with alcohol addiction people start to see it but with porn addiction it's very easy to hide so it is a form of escapism and it's one that is very easy to get addicted to because you can sweep it under the rug you can hide it and the the consequences of it are very subtle in terms of the negative consequences of porn which is why most people never actually realize they never make that connection that there is a problem because it's not this clear like a to b it's a to m you know it's like there's many steps but once you start to see the connections then you realize wow this really is affecting my you know my relationships with others my ability to be happy, my view of what healthy sexuality is, uh, all these things. As you can hear, we're just scratching the surface of just some amazing conversation about addiction, addictive personalities, and how the quest for happiness can really break some of those systems and cycles. Join us again next week as we look further into understanding how to break through addictive tendencies and steps we can work towards for recovery. Be well, everyone. third place podcast is produced by podcast publishing house if you like what you're hearing follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms apple spotify 
Also check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Third Place Podcast. There you can check out our weekly co-host Happy Hours on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast. <laughs>